Love Talk Radio. Angeles, California. Welcome to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show with your host, Shaw McCain. Hello, everybody. I'm your host, Shaw McCain. I'd like to welcome listeners to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show. My show was created to provide an open-minded platform that welcomes the gifted and extraordinary thinkers from every walk of life and circumstance. Please follow the Paranormal and Sacred on Facebook for upcoming events and special speakers from around the world. We're very proud to say we're translating to many different languages for listeners outside of the country. The call-in number tonight is 619-924-9744, and the Paranormal and Sacred airs every Friday night, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Uh, during this show, I can take your questions in order in chat, or you may call in with your questions and speak with our guests. And any buzzkillers in chat or on the phone, I just want to remind you, you have a copy of your number and I'll call you back and bug you if you bug me. So play nice, be polite, and make this a comfortable place to have a radio show. Anyway, I have a few little announcements, and I must tell you about Marilyn Salas' creation, Love Blessing. I love that lady, and she's a healer out in Ojai. And uh, I got my little beautiful kit, and I've been using it every day, and it's almost time to reorder now. Christmas is just around the corner, and I think she might be able to get some out to you. And they're beautiful little... Uh, crystal bottles with uh, a little gem on them, and uh, it smells like sort of like incense. And I use it uh, as, to bless myself every morning before I go out the door and face the world. So you can contact Marilyn Salas to get yours at www.lovesblessing.com. And I want to tell you a little bit about Zero International. It's an organization I've belonged to for let's say 23 years, and it supports UFO experiences and gathers together experts from around the world for very special presentations. And Yvonne Smith is a licensed hypnotherapist in North America, and she's now giving classes to train others in um, uh, life regressions and hypnotherapy and things like that. And she's available in Huntington Beach now and also north of the Los Angeles area. If you want to get a hold of her for training or for personal sessions, go to www.cerointernational.com. She's a lovely woman, and she has helped many, many people. And now she's going to help people help other people. So please contact her for more information. You know, I have a cousin, Chris Simpson, and his wife, and they live out there in Texas near Galveston, and they do Texas ghost tours. And they're two-hour walking tours in Galveston, and uh, they're also ghost researchers. So get contact my cousins if you want to go on a tour for prices and tour days and hours. Get a hold of them by calling Chris and Tracy Simpson, 713-562-0429. Or you can email them, texasghosttours at yahoo.com. And they do have a website, www.texas-ghost-tours.com. And now the holidays are almost through, and if we can make it by eating healthier and being happier, well, if we can't, we've got to use these products anyway. 
You probably don't want to hear this from me again, but I'm going to say it one more time. Check out my friend Katina Morris. She's a representative of V-Shape, a healthy way of eating with the most delicious weight management products, the cookies and snacks and cereal and nutritional shake mixes come in pre-measured packs and are very portable and will help you succeed in your healthier choices. Her phone number is 310-883-3855, or you can reach her at Katina with a C, Morris, at yahoo.com. Now, tonight I've been uh, trying to track down my guest, Joni Mahan, and um, she hasn't called in so far. So let me uh, check over at my Facebook account to see what's going on. Okay, so what's going to happen is that um, Jose Prado will be calling in. And he's worked on many cases. Excuse me. <coughs> I have a bit of a cold with Joni and um, with Michael Robinshaw, a book, uh, A Ruin of Souls, and that's what it is about um, Michael Robinshaw's um, story. So anyway, um, we don't know what happened with Joni at this time, but um, Jose Prado will be calling in just a while. Excuse me. It's cold now. It's acting up. Stress. Hold on one, please. Anyway, so until I wait for him to call in, I'll tell you what. Um, he's written over 14 books, and she's an amazing author and a researcher. I'm going to put on some music so I can get some water. Can you hear? We get a lot of things, but things we're most known for is the gun and the Bible, which is a pretty fucked up combination. But Texas is different. Churches had a PA a lot bigger than this one. More lights, smaller bar. I learned some strange things in that church. Took me a long time to unlearn. But there was one lesson I learned.
Well, that song made me feel a lot better. Anyway, that's Jace Everett, Angel of the Devil out of me. And uh, I'm still waiting for my guest to call in, and I'm trying to uh, hold my cold as I'm choking to death because I seem to have gotten a cold. I think I'm just working too much. And uh, anyway, I'm just waiting. So be patient, and uh, we'll try to get somebody on here for to talk to us about the paranormal tonight and all the things in these books and all the things that we're interested in, and uh, we're just waiting. Okay, so um, anyway, we're going to have somebody from the paranormal team calling in in a minute because I just can't seem to get a hold of Joni. So um, she is on uh, East Coast time, and uh, she may have forgotten that that was what was going on. I don't know what's going on. So anyway, we're just going to be on here, and I don't know what other song I have here to play. I like that that, uh, Jay Silver guy, but anyway. Uh, we could do landslide, but I don't have any Christmas songs on here yet. Let's see. I'm gonna do uh landslide. This is dedicated to my daughter. To my love, took it down. I climbed a mountain and I turned around. And I saw my reflection in snow-covered hills till the landslide brought me down. Oh, mirror in the sky, what is love? Can a child in my heart right above Can I sail through the changing ocean tide Can I have 
Okay, thank you, Stevenick. And I think we have Mr. Prado on the line. Hold on a moment, please. Hello, you're live with the Paranormal and the Sacred. Um, thank you for calling in. And uh, did you want to give the listeners your name, please? Yes, Jose Prado. Hi, Jose Prado. Thank you for uh, pitching in for us tonight because I've been uh, leaving messages and stuff for Joni for the last few hours, but something happened. I think it's because we're on a different time and she might have forgotten about it or something like that. So I really appreciate you very much. No problem. You're welcome. Okay. So uh, tell us uh, something about yourself. When did you start to get interested in the paranormal? Uh, Well, uh, I came from a family of uh, witches, practitioners of the African arts, specifically those that practiced uh, Santeria, the Afro-Cuban religion. So I was always interested in the occult since I was a child. And basically what ended up happening, long story short, is that we moved into a house that was filled with malevolent entities. And I went to several shamans and Wiccans and sorcerers, and they basically helped me to cast out what was there and to get rid of it for good. And after that, I began developing the abilities I already had naturally. And I became a magician, and I've been using sorcery ever since. Mm-hmm. So would you call and then yourself later on, uh, I got, yeah. <clears throat> like, a, like a shaman or a... Um, how how do you do, or a healer, or? Uh, you're, at least in Native tradition, you're not supposed to call yourself a shaman outright because it's considered a disrespect to the spirits, okay. and if you do that, they get pissed off. Um, in Native tradition, we call ourselves healers and travelers because we can sort of travel to the other side using shamanic astral projection, which is different than regular astral projection because it's more ritualized and it's stronger. Um, but I'm mostly a magician, and then um, Michael is a medicine man, initiated by elders, and he's also a trained Roman Catholic exorcist. Oh, interesting. Um, <clears throat> so where do you live now? <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, I live in Miami, Florida, and Michael lives in Alexandria, Virginia. He's the founder of the Alexandria uh, Paranormal Investigation Group. The API, uh, Alexandria Paranormal Investigations. When did you start doing this professionally? Like when you got... Uh, give me give me one second. Uh, I think... The, I think uh, hold on for one second. Okay, go ahead. Uh, it was just Michael. Michael wasn't able to get onto the show because he was doing something right now and he was just making sure that I called in. I know, I really appreciate uh, that. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, well, I practically did it professionally since the beginning because the first thing that I learned how to do in magic, you know, most people, they do visualizations and they do this. The first thing I learned was healing, actual hands-on healing of people. And the second thing I learned was exorcism. So from the beginning, I've been doing exorcisms and curse reversals and healings and Michael's been doing it almost since he was a kid. He had the gift like me. He could see things since he was a child, and he entered what's known as the Red Road, which is the Native American path. But he was also a Catholic, so he's a Catholic and a Native uh, shaman at the same time. And then my belief system 
is that every religion used to be one religion. So I'm a Gnostic Christian, so I practice basically everything there is that I find, and I develop, and I grow, and him and me together, we combine our knowledge and our gifts, and we're able to help people. You know, that's uh, that's great, and I respect anybody that's uh, going out there trying to lower the pain in the world and, you know, bringing help and hope to others. And uh, what would you say, uh, do you want to tell us about some of your cases or? Yeah, sure, why not? Uh, which, let me see, have you read uh, Ruin of Souls yet, the book that was written on Michael? Um, uh No. <laughs> Uh, it hasn't come out yet completely. I'm still waiting for my copy. Right. Joni, pro- Joni promised to give me an autographed copy. Um, basically, well, in the very book, some of the things that we did was um, we basically, we do the way we do things a little bit differently. Michael is an ex-soldier, if I'm not mistaken. And if he's not, then he knows a lot about military tactics. And then... I also studied military tactics, too, so that when we come across malevolent hauntings, we use it from a military perspective, like divide and conquer, exploit their weaknesses, come at them from every direction. Usually what happens is that one of us employs guerrilla warfare where we summon small bands of spirits and we have them attack different points of a spirit base, basically, because spirits need a stronghold. They need to have, like, a base of operations in a home when they're haunting people. So if it's a malevolent um, haunting with demonic spirits or with an angry spirit that's been in purgatory for too long, we sort of do remote viewing a little bit. We do these different things where we go into meditative trances. We're able to project our awareness and basically spy um, the entities and where they're staying at the most, um, like an attic or a basement. Actually, there was one person that the spirit was hiding in the boiler room of all places. And, uh, we send, usually, um, I send in like a small team of spirits to infiltrate the place from there and sort of hit them and attack them and sort of disorient them. And then when they weaken themselves enough, Michael summons a larger force, and he sends it in full force, like openly to attack them. So between what I do and what he does, we're able to get rid of them. Yes. So that's, that's how we do it, pretty much. Well, the preface for the book says, Evil is very real. It lurks at the corners of our existence like a cunning predator, waiting for the right opportunity to present itself. It has no conscience. It will attack young mothers and small with small children, people known to down on their luck and those with perpetual illnesses. In fact, those are its chosen prey. Why would that be? Is that because of the well, vulnerability? Well, that's actually definitely number one. That's how they open the door when... Even if you talk to people in the New Age movement, it doesn't really matter what perspective you have. If you're a New Ager, they even tell you that if you have lower vibrations, lower vibrational things, things that feed on pain and suffering, not only can enter your life, but they can feed on the pain in your life like parasites, and they grow stronger while you grow weaker, which is why um, not everything is necessarily witchcraft or that the house was haunted. Sometimes you have really negative people 
that are so negative that their energy is calling like darker creatures into their life. So it's like an open invitation. They don't need a ritual or a curse or a haunting or whatever. They just summon it with their own negativity, whether they're aware of it or not. Um, I just had an image in my mind about people suffering from drug addiction and alcoholism. I have had people say to me that they think they saw spirits, you know, standing around their bed. And and it may be because of they were high, but they were petrified when they saw it. Well, well, you have to understand that in shamanism, even Michael will tell you. In fact, I learned this from Michael. Michael said the reason that the elder shamans use mind-altering drugs is because it opens up the pathways in the brain that lets you see spirits. The thing is, they usually use more benign drugs, but then other people use like deadly poisons that if you're not careful could kill you. But when you're on drugs it opens up your perception and you can see things that are actually there, number one. And then number two, there's a different demon for different things. Um, There's even a demon for lust. Uh, The Catholic Church and demonology actually said that the seven deadly sins were um, symbolized by seven seven demonic uh, princes. And, you know, there's a one for lust, but I'm not going to say his name out loud because you're not supposed to acknowledge a fallen. Yeah, no, I won't. Yeah. That's because, what I was. Uh, that's what I was saying. You know, Edwin, use it. don't use it. You know, Edwin Becker. Um, he has written some books on this, and uh, he did give a name. I was so petrified when I was reading it, and uh, I told him, I said, "Are you when you were? We were talking about. It, I said when you were writing this, was that a name of a real demon?" He said, "Yes." I said, "You know, that scared me out of my wits, and I don't want to read that again." So, I didn't. Yeah. No, I um I will not even read I will not even write it on a piece of paper to tell somebody I think this is it unless I do like a neutralization prayer or an yeah. affirmation for neutralization like I say in the name of Jesus Christ as I write or say this name um it will not manifest and it will not even pay attention to me I say something like that to cover it completely with positive energy so it doesn't attract anything. Right. Do you- uh, I think everybody yeah. has a weak point, and um, I think you would really have to know yourself, and um, I think that the travel that you do with your elders will help you be honest and uh, face yourself first before you go face all that. Is that, is yeah. that uh, what you're doing? Um, I'm sorry. You have to repeat that it's for me again. It's kind of like facing yourself first, and then you go face uh, the evil spirit. Oh, yeah. So I think you have to know yourself first before you go. Well, it depends because sometimes remember that trials and tribulations are given to people for different reasons. Um, I didn't really know myself very well when I started out. I was in a very nasty place, but when I began practicing and I began working with people and helping others, you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Okay, um, I began elevating my consciousness a little bit, like, this isn't what I should be doing. I shouldn't be, like, you know, not doing anything with my life. I need to have certain ambitions. I need to be a better son. I need to be a better brother. I need to be a better human being. So, you know, it depends. Normally, I would say 100% 100 you were right, but in my case, it was the other way around. Sometimes... You need to go through a trial and a tribulation to truly know who you are and to get strong from it. Because if 
you only go through soft stuff and you don't face any adversity. Um, you know, it's like using a blade that's dull. It doesn't do anything. It's useless. So it depends yeah. on the person and the path. I agree with you because, uh, I've, I've, you know, different phases of my life I've had to go through, you know, personal torture or whatever it was. And uh, it's like I used to equate it with like, well, to refine gold, you have to beat it. You know, and sometimes uh, stuff has to be beaten off of you to face the the real stuff that's left. You know, because sometimes we hang on to things that really aren't for us anymore. We don't know how to move on or let go and move on. Because I feel like this is a journey, don't you? (laughs) Oh, yeah, it is. It is a journey. Um, And from my opinion, it's a journey of spiritual beings having a human experience rather than the other way around. Exactly. Um, So as a shaman, do you feel like um, in your healing, what are you healing exactly? what, What is your technique and what are you asking for? Well, it depends on what I'm healing because there's physical healing, there's spiritual healing, and then there's healing that goes in between them. There's, you know, there's gray areas. There's areas that overlap from spiritual into physical. Um, Everything starts out as energy. So if there's a negative energy in your life, sometimes it manifests as a disease or as problems in finances or bad luck or whatever. So sometimes you have to pull the disease from the root. If you have a weed in your garden and you just like take scissors and you cut off like a little part of the weed, but you don't rip out the roots. It's just going to grow back. You have to rip it out by the roots. You have to find the root and remove it. So I'm not saying that I'm so powerful that if I take the negativity out of you, you're not going to have cancer anymore. If somebody told me that I'd probably laugh in their face, you know, because I don't think anybody is that strong. I'm not Jesus of Nazareth, but I can ease or help in the healing process by removals of certain energetic roots. Um, The ancient Greeks believed that negative energy was called miasma, and if miasma was stuck inside you for too long, it would turn into malaise, and malaise is the same as like disease. It basically means bad ease, disease. So disease or bad ease is basically that you have negativity emotionally, spiritually, and then manifesting your physical life as something mundane, like a disease. So normally, when I'm trying to heal someone from a physical disease or from a spiritual disease, I have to basically connect with them psychically and take a look at what it is that started it. You have to look at the root of the origins of it. Um, One person that I knew didn't really have a disease per se. What he had was an extremely bad, violent temper, and his violent Mm. temper came from being a bad childhood, basically. So in order to help him control his temper, I had to tell him, look, we have to do like a shamanic quest. We have to go into a trance and you have to face like the darkness within in order for you to get healed. So he had to face his shadow self and the shadow self is similar to the doppelganger, but it's a totally negative side of yourself. And he had to face it and speak to it and say, why are you angry? And the shadow self started telling him, I'm angry because of this and this and this because of our mother because of our relationships in the past, because 
we've been mistreated because of the way that we look. So when he finally allowed himself to listen to his dark side, to listen to what was causing the anger in the first place, he started perceiving that the shadow self was starting to grow lighter and lighter and lighter until it was no longer a shadow creature. It was just like him, but like dressed in white light. Because what people don't understand is if you try to purge the dark side, that's not balance. If you're too dark or too light, sooner or later that imbalance is going to come back to bite you. You need a balance between darkness and light. I, yeah. I totally agree. Because you're always suspicious of people that always have a smile plastered on their face, nothing's ever wrong, and everything's cool all the time because inevitably there's a crash coming. <clears throat> I don't wish that on anybody, but uh, I don't know. That little sweetness can cover up a little poison or something. I don't know. I always have that suspicion. Well, uh, I mean, the Bible even says that if the devil can turn himself into an angel of light, why can't his ministers turn himself into ministers of righteousness? So whenever I meet people that say that they're all love and light, I immediately suspect them. I'm like, okay, what are you trying to cover up? <laughs> yeah. Like, I think, oh, really? So everything's cool with you. You know, and so, uh, you know, because I'm interested in uh, many different things of the paranormal, and I've had very odd experiences with uh, UFOs and stuff like that. And some people say that they have all good experiences and it's all fine with them, and it's all white light. And I just can't imagine things being like that. I mean, it's never been like that in my whole life. There's good times, bad times, there's ecstasy, there's horror stuff, there's, you know, it's a big mess. It's the whole catastrophe, yeah. as, uh, as Zorba would say, you know, it's, uh, and the chaos, though, there's a, there's beauty to it, because uh, what you're talking about is helping to heal people and things like that, to me, is a beautiful thing. Yeah, um, I went through a malevolent haunting and ended up becoming an exorcist and a healer spiritually and working with other people to break curses and cast out evil spirits, so it basically backfired on the spirit. That's the way God works, you know, that uh, whatever is used for the negative can be turned to the positive, and um, there's so many facets to this. I mean, it's, it's like a diamond. You're never going to find the end to uh, how many faces, whatever it is, has, and you just have to face it as it comes. And um, <clears throat> how do you, how do you uh, um, let's say, because you said you faced your own uh, darkness, and then it, and then you fought these spirits. So, uh, what? How do you recognize them? And uh, how do you, how do people get help for this? How do you recognize and how people, because people could be sick, right, in their mind, or they could mm-hmm. be on drugs or whatever, but how do you know this is the real deal and there's a problem? Well, it's actually funny that you mentioned that, because there was one uh, case that I did before I met Michael with a woman who had a history of mental disease. In fact, I was incredibly skeptical. I almost thought 100% that it was all in her head. Um the reason that I suspected otherwise is because, number one, um, she developed the ability to speak, read, and write in Latin, and I don't know any disease that causes a person to spontaneously know how to speak, read, and write in it. True. And number two, every time she had an exorcism from the church, the symptoms would disappear for months 
for months and she was perfectly fine until they came back to her. Like it got to the point where there was like 14 or 13 or 12 or 10. I don't know how many priests that were doing like tag tag team exorcisms on her because they didn't know what was causing them to return. And later on, my master, the person that was teaching me, told me they were coming back because she used a Ouija board. And when I asked her if it was true, she said, yeah, that she had used it at 18. And that's when all the the entities started manifesting. And that's when it got bad and her life went downhill. So he knew because he saw it in his mind and he told me. Wow. And uh, she hadn't brought that up before. No, she didn't. So what he basically explained to me, and this is something that ties into my cases with Michael, is that when you use a divinatory device, it doesn't have to be the Ouija board. If you use anything that's used for divination and you don't know how to properly use it and you don't close the doorway when you're done using it, anything out there from the spirit of a dead man to a demon even to a nature spirit, anything can basically see the energy, and if they want to, they can use the portal to possess you. They can jump inside of you because it opens up a gateway within you that lets them manifest and jump in. Um, because yeah. that's how divinatory devices work, is that they open a frequency inside you in order for you to use them. Hmm. So... What about people that are wearing replicas of the Ouija board on their clothing? I noticed that they're starting to use them in tablecloths and wearing them in T-shirts and stuff like that. What do you what do you think that's going on there? Well, that's not going to do anything because it's the same as people that wear T-shirts of like the famous um, how they have gypsy-looking women, Rom- Romani women with crystal balls. It's yes. not going to do anything. It's only going to affect you if you're using an actual system of divination. If you're trying to divine and you don't follow the proper guidelines like vetting where you filter what kind of entity can get close to you and you call upon your god or your goddess or whoever you believe in to protect you and you call on your spirit guides, you know, and you have like your special like amulets and stuff like that for one thing and for another um, that you have to close the doorway unless you're actually activating a divinatory device wearing a t-shirt with a Ouija board isn't going to do anything. It's just an image of a board. They can't do anything. Okay. Okay. Because you've seen them, right? Yeah, I've seen, I've seen even one, actually, with one <laughs> case that Michael and me worked with that wasn't even a board. This uh these kids had done it the old-fashioned way where you got, like, a glass, like a drinking glass and, like, different slips of paper, and they did it like that. The board itself isn't um, the thing that opens it up. It's the use of spirit communication without being trained in how to do it properly, without following protections and guidelines to keep you safe. If you attempt any form of communication and you're not trained and you don't know what you're doing, anything can show up and claim to be your dead relative uh, twice removed or whatever, and then come into your life and screw with you. Um, what, uh, well, you know, I'm thinking about some things now that, uh, how would you bring about uh, and recognize the positive? Let's say if you happen to be psychic, um, and you are dealing in that realm in that way, is that a problem? Let's say if you're born with a gift of sight or uh, 
you know, you dream and have visions and stuff yeah. like that. What it, it seems sort of like the same thing. I know kind of better, but I'm just doing. I want to ask for my listeners. I know they're probably interested in that. So, uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, it is because uh, an entity can tell who has the gift and who doesn't because the aura of a and the frequency of a person that has the ability already awakened is more elevated and burns more brightly than anybody else. So it's kind of like you're surrounded by a bunch of little candles and these candles are regular people, but then you have a big Roman candle that's burning bright in the dark and everything can see it. So that does work. That actually happened to a gypsy, a Mexican gypsy from San Diego, California, that I was friends mm -hmm. with. She grew up being tormented by malevolent spirits because they knew she had the gift. And they used to, like, come and haunt her and do everything. But because her family converted to Christianity, they didn't believe in developing the gift or whatever. So they didn't believe her when she said that she was seeing them. It wasn't until she separated from her fundamentalist family and began practicing with another uh, Romani group that was pr practicing the traditional ways that she came to understand what was happening to her and why. So I can tell you from experience that that does happen. They latch on to you if they see that you have the gift and they try to mess you up or they try to lead you down the darker path. Because in other yeah. cases, there's entities out there that try to seduce you into the darker versions of witchcraft and doing the black arts. There's a woman in Mexico who's, fa who's famous because she's like this famous devil worshiper, and she claimed that the dark one appeared before her and told her that she had the gift and that he, she had to work for him. And instead of saying no, eventually she said yes, and now she's like a satanic high priestess over there. Yeah, isn't she involved in sort of like gangster activities too, like drug dealing and all kinds of crazy stuff for money and a lot of murders? <clears throat> Is that who I'm talking are you about? Talking, are, are you talking about those that believe in La Santa Muerte? Yes. No, La Santa Muerte is an Aztec deity of the dead, and she's not evil and she's not demonic. The thing is that people that are criminals use mystical icons and different deities and try to use them to gain power. It's not even just with her. La Santa Muerte actually has nothing to do with crime, and her worshippers are loyal Catholics that are baptized and confirmed. It's just that they're also worshippers of the ancient Aztec and Mayan deities of their ancestors, but she has nothing to do with Satanism or the occult. It's just that Satanists, well, the occult, what I mean by that is bad things. It's just that Satanists misuse her worship. In China, they do the same thing with the god of war, Guan Yu, where Guan yeah. Yu is worshipped by the police to try and fight the, the triads, but the triads worship Guan Yu to get an upper hand in the cops. And then here in Miami, Florida... Uh, there's people who are policemen who practice Santeria and worship the African gods to fight the criminals, but there's criminals that use African magic and pray to different African deities in order to get an upper hand over them. So it has nothing to do with that. It's the same as an Italian gangster that goes to the Catholic Church and they claim that they love God so much and they confess yeah. because they're trying to use the power that God gives to his children in order to get the upper hand on the law. It's the same principle. I understand it because uh, I counsel federal prisoners, and uh, I've been doing that almost 10 years now, and once in a while, you know, they'll tell me about Santeria, and 
some of the things that they said, it's confusing because why? Okay, let's say you're dealing in a vast amount of cocaine. <clears throat> why yeah. would you curse the cocaine? I don't get it. <laughs> like, what's what's the, what's the premise of that? Well, there's. I can tell you from experience because there are even good witches that use curses, um, but probably what huh. they did was a protective curse so that if a police officer confiscated the cocaine and they were busted, the cocaine would act as a curse on their enemy. Again, this is guerrilla warfare. This is them. Okay. If you take our if you take our product, it's going to curse you because they save all of that for um for evidence. So that's probably what they were doing with it. They were cursing it against enemies. Yeah, a lot of people really you know, the people that let's say are up in Beverly Hills are doing like little lines of cocaine and it's all in a little crystal jar or whatever they're doing. They don't actually realize it's a cursed uh, dope. And uh, they might be aligning themselves with some pretty horrible things. I don't think they realize it. No, or if they did realize it, they would probably laugh and just call it a superstition because a lot of people don't really believe that this stuff is real. And even people that believe in the paranormal or the occult um, can be skeptical, so they would probably think that that wouldn't work that way, or that that's impossible, or whatever. You know, um, Colin Deplancy, the guy that wrote the Infernal Dictionary that talks about demonology, was a horrible skeptic, and he made fun of people that practiced pyromancy, that threw bones into the fire, and would yeah. interpret the cracks because he said that it was a ridiculous form of divination. Um, or maybe that was the tarot, I'm not sure, but he made, you know, a joke about how that's a silly form of divination because, you know, um, each interpretation, each card, each crack will basically the same say the same thing and everybody has the same issue, so he would make a joke about that. So sometimes the worst skeptics are the ones in the paranormal. Yeah, um... You know, this stuff is really alive and people are using it, you know. And uh, some, I'm really well aware of it. And I, what I do is I thank God that uh, I was baptized um, Greek Orthodox. And I was baptized in the Greek church by Archbishop Michael. So it's kind of like the Pope baptized me of the Greek church. It's like that. The patriarch. And I always show, yes, you've got it. The patriarch, how did you know? So it would be page, Archbishop Michael. Um, and, uh, well, because, because because Gnostic Christianity used to be the same church as Catholic, Roman Catholicism and the Orthodox churches, so those are traditions that overlap. Yes, I'm I'm I'm, uh, I'm very uh, I, beyond pleased. I'm I'm grateful that you know that you know because this stuff is very meaningful and people don't have any uh, knowledge of it are missing a lot. You know, I would, I say, anybody listening, I would start, I would study all this, and it's so beautiful, but I did feel uh, blessed by it, and I was also uh, um, <clears throat> christened with the name Constant, for Constantine the Great, but the female version, and I felt like that yeah. protected me my whole life, and it has not only made me strong when, when I would be weak, you know, now that I'm going into my older age, it's made me strong in another way that I'm pretty damn persistent. You know what I mean? I go for the goal, and I try to work positive in the world, and I may be down for a minute, but I stand back up stronger, you know? And I know that's because I was dedicated to the church, and the angels are helping me or something's going on, because I feel it. Well, I feel it's, it's, also, it, 
it's also mystical protection. Um, that's it basically is. name. That's basically name magic. That's why in Wicca and in other traditional forms of paganism, we never tell anybody what our craft name is because that's a special name mm-hmm. that keeps us safe and protected. So being baptized and given that name offers mystical protection that directly connects you to the saint. That's why, at least, because, that's what I was taught by by my teachers. I, I I know that, and I believe, and I also feel it. I even have the little yeah. cross that I, I was the they gave out little uh, crosses with the um, a pink little bow, and I still have one. Yeah. It was given pinned on my blanket. I mean, it's just really, it's something that uh, it's not only tradition, and then especially Archbishop Nico, but. Uh, it's helped me, and it's also helping me to go to the other side. Let's put it that way. It's hard to explain, yeah. but I've had many dreams of going to heaven and and things like that, things that I think about, and then I get help from the other side like that. <clears throat> and then when you me. explore that, when you explore that mystical connection, it also helps you yeah. when your time comes to cross over, because in Hinduism yeah. they teach you that when you work with the ascended masters, which are basically the Hindu saints, they can help you gain redemption so the saints that you're named after or that you work with will basically ascend you and help you go into heaven when your time comes by your connection with them yeah i really i do know that and i i it's strange when uh when you when you start out on this thing you know you're uh, pretty much well i was a beggar you know begging god and begging and keep trying and keep you know saying i'm sorry and keep going and you know, then towards the other part, you start letting go and start thanking and being grateful, you know, and then you go on to a different kind of thing. It doesn't mean you don't hurt any less, but you're also happy at the same time. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, <clears throat> anyway, this is a, just an amazing journey. And um, so where are you at in all this personally? In regards to what, like from what perspective? In your uh, in your growth during your path, but where do you think you are in this whole thing? Uh, well, the high priest from my coven, from my you know former coven, anyways, because I left for mm-hmm. personal reasons. Mm-hmm. He used he used to tell people that we're the warrior sect. The clergy used to be warriors in ancient times. The idea that the clergy were not warriors happened in the modern era, but the ancient Egyptians, the Celts, etc., were taught martial arts and things, and they would fight mm-hmm. against negative entities. So, I mean, I don't know if I'm a warrior or not, um, but I try. I'm a fighter at the very least. So, I mean, if that's what my uh, place is and all that is to fight, then that's what I do. I think that's excellent. You know, um I'm pretty steady and uh and I think that's part of my role too is to to be strong and stay faithful and that helps others too. You know, cuz every time I learn a, a new way that I can believe and have still have faith, you know, cuz you have to carry the faith through to the end. You you know, some people are you know, I hate to say this, they're giving up and you know blowing their brains out at 95. Like I don't get that. You know what I mean? I don't understand it. I have a friend, and that's what happened uh, to this friend's um, mother. You know, it's like, you made it that far, then, uh, you know, it's pretty shocking. So don't give up. You have to keep going to the end. 
Oh, I mean, it's tough. It's life is tough. Where we have, we're put in this world, and there's so much that we go through, or that we have to go through. And not everyone can handle that. Um, but I do believe that if you do something like that, it's mm-hmm. not because you were in your right mind, and God or the higher power, whatever you believe in, will understand that and will help you to go back home, the spiritual home, and to be okay. You know, there's a lot of people that have wanted consultations with me, and they're crying, and they're asking if God Mm -hmm. is angry with their loved ones, and that's a reason they're in purgatory. And some of these people, their loved ones were not in purgatory. I saw them in heaven because God knew that they weren't in their right mind, and I had to tell them, look, um, I don't know what you were told or who told you this, but your relatives are okay. And then other people, yeah, their relatives were in purgatory, but not because God put them there, because they didn't understand where they were or what happened. Uh, some of them didn't even really know that they were dead, and they had to be made to understand so that they could cross over later on. It's not that simple. The spirit world is not simple. When you die, no. you don't just always directly go to heaven or directly go to hell. Um, there's levels, there's different things, there's different belief systems for a reason. The spirit world is a complex, like almost like another planet kind of looking thing. It's like a whole new world and each land has a different spiritual background and a different even spiritual society existing on the other side and how they do what they do. And their rules are each different and specific to their own land. So you have to, you know, um, like this Native American woman, mediums came to her land and they kept trying to like cross over all the dead Native spirits and the spirits kept coming back and they're like, I don't know why they keep coming back. And I had to explain to this woman, I said, do you talk to your elder at all? And she goes, no, I don't talk to like the people from my family's religion. I'm a Christian. And I said, Mm -hmm. well, that's your problem right there because if you studied Native American spirituality, you would know that their version of heaven is on earth. So you're trying to banish a spirit that has a connection to the land. You might as well be trying to exercise an angel in heaven. You know, it's, there's no point. That's profound, really. Because, you know, people are doing these things, they don't even know what they're doing. And uh, that's so true. You've got to understand where they're coming from. And um, I read this story in this book, uh, Book of Angels. And one of the stories was this man, uh, said that he came to believe he was actually he was way out in the mountains where there's no no electricity no radio nothing, but he lived up there all his life and then he started hearing these uh, uh, choirs of angels coming from different places and they would come across like the sunrise you know they come across the sky, and then he started recognizing them and he said it was almost like they had had five different countries and he was really talking about that that place you're talking about that there are different countries but they're heavenly countries. Yeah, um, heaven itself is complex. There's no such thing as just one heaven. It's uh, even in the Bible they say there's seven heavens. Um, but there's like, hold on for one second. Uh, Go ahead. Sorry, I think it it was um, it was Michael. Um, hold on for one second. Let me see what he's saying. Okay. Okay. Um, Let me see. Joni is in the queue right now. Oh, she is. Okay, I see her. Yeah, she is. She, she just okay. texted me. Okay. Let's see. Let's get her on here. 
Joni? Yeah, I'm still here. I don't know okay. where Joni is. Okay, let me try to. Hi, Joni. You're live with the Paranormal and Sacred. Hi, I'm so sorry. Joni, I, I, where I are you? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh-huh. You know, you know what? I was thinking this was tomorrow night, so I was planning my whole night around it. So I'm, oh, I'm no. my apologies. First time I've ever done this, so I I apologize. It's been a rough week. You can ask Jose. (laughs) Yeah, it really really has. (laughs) Well, I'm so glad that you tuned in, and uh, Jose has been talking to us about some very important aspects of the supernatural and about uh, shamanism in heaven and and things like this. How did you guys meet? Um, We met through Michael Robichaud. when I was interviewing uh, people for his book, he told me I should talk to Jose because Jose had helped him, and uh, we just become friends through that. You know, do you feel like there's a bunch of us that are being drawn together, and we're all coming together? It's like meeting um, your spiritual family almost. Absolutely, I've been feeling that yeah. for a while. Um, you know, I teach a paranormal 101 class, and the people that came to my class and just showed up have become like family and you know we've all said that you know i think that you know that we are soul family that we've come together and and other people in my life have suddenly started coming to me you know at a place when i reached a place of spirituality where i was ready for them and uh, they're starting to come to me really wonderful it is there's nothing like just finding your people and and taking comfort in uh just it's very hard to make small talk and just talk about nothing or just talk about shopping or anything like that. I don't even know what people are talking about. And I go, okay, we'll talk about that, I guess. I don't know. But, uh, you know, there's so much important things to share and communicate about. And uh, when you find people like yourself, it's just just so uh, awesome. You know, I can hardly put it into words, but it's been happening for me, like, easily the last 20 plus years, 22 years, I would say. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice when it happens. I think I think a lot of it has to do with your own spiritual growth. You're not going to meet the people that uh, that you need to meet until you're ready to meet them. And uh, once I was ready to meet them, they just all started flowing in. Yeah, that's a good point. That's true, because uh, it's like you're opening your mind to the universe, and then uh, you start... Uh, meeting people that are in that same path, and uh, I like it. I like that. And then yeah. uh, it's better to be your real self and then face the music of that because if somebody's going to not like you, it's better to know now. Just be yourself from the gate and just uh, don't fake. Just be yourself. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, uh, Joni, why don't you tell uh, – Jose, do you want to stay on here or do you want to uh, – to listen and uh, come in when you like talk about something. Uh, what do you think, Joni? Do you want me to stay around? Yeah, stick around. Stick around. I appreciate you uh, pinch hitting for me to begin with. So, yeah, no, stick around. No. <laughs> yeah, no, really no problem. <laughs> Michael had texted me and said he was trying to get a hold of you, but he couldn't, and he asked me to come in on emergency, so um, so I did, and I, <laughs> I called as quickly as I could. <laughs> I think, well, I got invited to a group of women that do they do a dream uh 
a dream class that they meet for once a month, and uh, mm-hmm. they had invited me to come to it, so I had muted my phone. So I was listening to all these people's dreams. It was really a fascinating class, but <laughs> I happened oh, to look down at my phone and saw all the missed messages. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, great. You're trying to find me. <laughs> So, uh, okay, since we're talking about dreams, uh, I have had a couple of bad dreams lately, and I'm not used to having them anymore. Uh, they feel sort of like old and, you know what I mean? So uh, I had a, a dream that I uh, that I used to have, but so long ago, I, I swear it must have been easily 30 years ago, but I started having it again recently, and it's about scorpions. And they're biting me, and I come home or wherever I'm at, and they're kind of hiding. Then they come out, and they start biting me. So I have to have an emergency to try to get rid of them all. And then I get rid of them all, and then there'd be one hidden still. And uh, I don't know if that's because I am actually have a uh, thyroid, sorry, parathyroid thing, and it's regulating my calcium in my bones, so I have a lot of pain. I'm thinking one of it might be one of of why I'm dreaming about that particular kind of pain. You know, so what do you say? Well, it sounds like definitely like an anxiety dream, but um, I'd be interested in knowing what what Jose has to say about scorpions because I know he knows something. (laughs) I know he does. That's why I just had the courage to say it now. Uh, (laughs) Am I that transparent? Sorry about that. Uh, well, I was, I was. It's just a thought. I don't actually know if that might be it or not. But uh, I was going to ask you: Do you have many people that sort of are jealous or greedy or try to like come at you from different directions to knock you down? I knew that was it. Yes. Uh, be, because that's your shadow totem warning you. The shadow totem is a totem animal that protects you, but the animal is something scary that you're afraid of, and it makes you face it so that you face your fear, so you grow stronger. So the shadow totem, you know, that animal that you mentioned, is Mm -hmm. warning you that although most of the people that oppose you or who may be trying to harm you in some way, shape, or form are falling by the wayside, there's this one specific person, and I think you know who that is already, that is hiding in the background trying to cause you more mischief and trouble, and they need to be dealt with subtly okay. and carefully. I get it. I, I think you've got it right on the nail here because I am uh, my, I'm, I have my book at the editor right now, and uh, it took so long for things to come to pass, you know, to things for to be fruition. I'm kind of like a late bloomer. So things are coming to me in my older age, and, it's really making me very happy. Uh, beyond happy, it's making me feel uh, this is the way it was supposed to be. Uh, you know, finally, you know, things are working out and stuff like that, you know. Because I had secret hopes and desires, and uh, I want this first book to be a good book, so I have an excellent editor. And... Uh, why I've kind of kept that... I know I tell people it's under wraps, but I... You know, then I started feeling weird, like even from my friends. Like they'll ask me about my radio show. This is my third year, and I'm I'm in about 330 shows. I think I've earned my chops right now. You know, I'm giving myself two more years to do this. And then I'd like to uh, be free on Friday nights. But anyway, uh, 
you know, I think it's coming from all that, that, uh, um, anyway, I don't want to say any more about it. I understand. It's right. It's true. Yeah, I understand too. I don't want to say any more about it. Plus, I don't want to talk bad about people. Even they are little scorpions. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) 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 So, uh, anyway, Joni, so you've written uh, 3,000 books that I know of. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, 14. (laughs) Actually, it's 3 million. Yeah, 14. And, 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 uh, and actually, those are the ones that I have published. I have another six at home in boxes in my closet that I couldn't get published. So I was persistent, let's just say that. I, I was meant to be a writer, and I wasn't giving up until I got my books out there. So, um, awesome. so I've got a lot of books. No, the book about the ruin is about uh, uh, something that all three of you uh with you with your it's about uh tell the people about who it's about it's about michael robishaw he's a shaman from alexandria virginia and um he he helps people with um a lot of things he's a healer as well as um a shaman but he's able to astral project and he's able to go to locations and battle really negative dark entities and free the location or the person of the haunting or of the attachment. And he's helped me before. That's how I knew who he was or what he did. And But it only touched the tip of the iceberg with what he helped me with, because with, he helped other people with severe things. Yeah, so that then he knows uh, Jose, right? Yes, the two of them often work together. Yeah, so that's how how the connection is for everybody that's listening. So, anyway, so uh, through your uh, travels, Miss, um, now you're back east, right? Yes, I'm in Massachusetts. Okay. Were you born there? No, I was born in Indiana. I grew up in Indiana. I moved to Massachusetts in my early 20s. because I got married, and my uh, now ex-husband was from Massachusetts. He wanted to be close to his family, so that's where I ended up. I have kids here, so I don't want to. I don't. I can't move anywhere else. Yeah, I was born in Boston, and you know, when I was a kid, it was very hard to move there. But now I've been in California since '65. It's hard to get out of here. But I think in a few, three or four years, I'm going to go back that way, so that I can mm. go up and down the coast and visit everybody in New York, Massachusetts. You know, Georgia, I uh-huh. just have everybody that's kind of migrating over there. Yeah. <clears throat> and Jose's on the West Coast. Now, <laughs> yeah. Miami's very interesting, but so is so is Massachusetts. Both places have very uh, unusual things going on. Like Miami, there's a lot yeah. of phenomena that, you know, I'm kind of scared of that place. I don't want to go down the boat or... There's a Bermuda Triangle and all kinds of strange stuff and weird storms and things like that. I'm the witch community down here. Yes, exactly. So do you think think what's going on with Cuba and uh, their tradition and how they're opening it up to uh, us going back over there? I was glad about that, but I'm just wondering how... uh, 
you know what what level their uh, religion is, and because um, I hear Castro isn't religious, right? He well, he on the outside isn't religious, but everybody knows that he was initiated into Santeria and that he goes to a high priest that's on the island. There's even a picture of him that came on Mexican television of him with the Babalao, the high priest that he goes to that he does consultations with. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. He got initiated in, I'm not sure if it was in Cuba or if it was in Africa, and his godmother, who was his master and African sorcery, was one of the rebel commanders that worked with him. Really? So now is now is his son uh, into the same kind of thing, do you think? Uh, these things usually propagate generationally. You know, the master teaches his uh, daughter, his son, etc., etc., and the family usually practices the thing is that it's not always, it's not as strict as, let's say, Christianity, where they force you to stay because if you don't, you'll be eternally damned. So the person gets to choose what they want and what they don't want. And if they don't want to be in that faith, they're not obligated in any way, shape, or form to be there. Okay, interesting. I'm wondering what's next out of there. Uh, we really haven't seen a lot of pictures yet of what's going on. But uh, especially, has, you know, uh, they're starting to use uh, commerce and stuff like that, like, like we do. And, um, you know, I'm just waiting to see how it's going to come out. So uh, now, now Joni. Um, so you grew up in Indiana, and where? Tell us about your early experiences and what brought you into the paranormal. Well, I'm a sensitive, so I was the paranormal really kind of came to me. I didn't have to worry about going to it. Um, as an early at an early age, I was aware that there were ghosts nearby, and uh, I could feel them. I could feel them coming close to me. I could hear them. Um, which I later learned, I'm clairaudient, so I hear tones uh, that I associate with ghosts, and each one has a slightly different sound. Uh, For years, as a young adult, I was able to convince myself I just had tinnitus, you know, ringing of the ears. And then as I got a little older, it was harder and harder to convinced myself that was what was wrong because the sound moved around the room. It wasn't a constant, steady ringing. Uh, and, and if there were two ghosts in the room, their sounds would swirl in and out of each other. I could track them and tell you where they were. Uh, so it's like a muscle. The more you exercise it, the stronger it gets. And once I finally embraced the fact that I was sensitive to ghost energy or spirit energy, I started working with it and have developed uh, clairvoyance, uh, a couple of other different abilities, but I'm becoming more and more of a medium all the time and less of just a sensitive, so it's something I'm I'm working on developing, but um, it's just always been with me. Ghosts have always been around me. So developing yourself as a medium, um, are you concerned in any way, or how do you uh, open up to the spirits, and how do you protect yourself from uh, getting swamped by spirits? Well, it's been a struggle all my life. Um, my first paranormal book that I wrote is Soul Collector, and that's my story about how when I finally started embracing my abilities, uh, I 
I had started doing paranormal investigating at that point, and to me it was like a toy. I could go into a haunted location and tell you where the ghosts were. We So we knew where to set up the equipment, where to focus our investigations, and, and I thought it was really neat, and it was fun. And then I made a mistake. I didn't put enough stock into protection. Um, I went to a really... Uh, a place that has a lot of negative energy and investigated when I was in a state of severe depression. I had just uh, had something happen in my life that was kind of traumatizing to me. And someone mm-hmm. said, um, trying to cheer me up, said, hey, let's go for a ghost. Let's go, go on a ghost hunt. And so I said, sure, I'll go. So I went out there, and I was like prime candidate for an attachment. And it, something very negative that was demonic in nature attacked, latched on to me and was with me for months. And oh, <clears throat> the, at the time, um, you know, I really didn't have a safety net. I had nobody in my camp that could help me. I had one psychic medium who would help me, but she lived, she lived uh, three or four hours away, and it was hard for me to get to her to get, to get help. And, and, you know, she was limited in what she was able to do to help me as well. Uh, I also had another friend who was practicing or training with the church to become um, to help with exorcism. So he would he would drop everything and come over and try to help me, but what he was doing wasn't working. Um, he would come over. He did a deliverance on me, and uh, you know I was getting worse and worse. I was deeply into oppression. I was losing time. My personality was changing. Um, this thing was cutting me off from other people. My my phone would just go to fuzz if I tried to call anybody. Um, people couldn't get a hold of me, uh, and I just kind of receded into myself. And uh, the, you know, I, I ended up. You know, so they they did finally help me at, at the very end. But it was you know it was to a point where I was starting to think about suicide because. I didn't want my life. I couldn't imagine living my life that way any longer, and I was getting more and more depressed. And I'm not that kind of person. I'm a very bounce-back, optimistic kind of person. So for me to begin thinking about, you know, driving my car into a tree was, you know, pretty scary now that I look back at it. I think, you know, they probably saved me, uh, you know, in the nick of time. Um, But I, I held on to the story for two years because they told me, not to talk about him, not to think about him, and whatever I did, not to write about him. But I started thinking about all the other people that were just like me, that were sensitive, not knowing what they were doing, going out, watching these paranormal TV shows, and then going out and, you know, going into a graveyard or somewhere, you know, these old haunted prisons and places with a lot of really heavy negative energy, and this might happen to them too. So by that time, I knew more about protection. I'd learned, I'd researched a lot and studied a lot, learned a lot, and worked with several psychic mediums to learn more about how to keep myself protected. So I went ahead and I took a, I took the plunge and wrote that book. And it was kind of my coming out as a paranormal uh, sensitive because nobody in my family really knew uh, anything about, you know, what was going on with me because I'd, I'd stopped talking about it in childhood when people started, you know, asking me, thinking I was crazy, so I just stopped talking about it. So there were a lot of aunts and uncles and childhood friends and, you know, that read this book for the first time, and I was worried. I thought people are going to think I'm really crazy, but 
the opposite actually happened. People uh, started coming to me and saying, you know what, I'm the same way. I feel the same things. And, you know, thank you for sharing this story. And, you know, and it convinced a few people not to start investigating because, you know, it shows them the dark side. There's a dark side to, to, to ghost hunting. It's not all fun and games. It's a very serious thing. And, you know, you have to take it seriously. Well, I can't do it. You know, I've had people come to me before and after they've died. I didn't understand, you know, how that could be, but it's been going on all my life. Like somebody will come to me before they die. They tell me when they're going to die, and I would like it. They want me to do something. They don't say it, but they show me what they want to do. They want me to do. And then I know when they're going to pass, and then after they pass, they'll, they'll come back and say thank you or want to say something else. But I find... It's scary sometimes, you know, and I'll just say no. You know, I don't want to hear you. Wow. You know what uh-huh. I mean? Yeah, because I'm, cause I'm um, I, I have a lot of, of, I don't, I've had several, let's say, uh, near-death experiences. And, um, you know, recently I was there again, you know, going down this hall, and they allowed me to see heaven. And uh, it's um, happened to me a few times. And, um, but, you know, I'm a little scared to talk to, you know, spirits, unless there's a, there's a real reason for it. You know what I mean? Well, I think, you know, I think, you know, we're talking about, you know, things happening to you for a reason and people coming to you for a reason. I really feel that, um, everything that happened to me, as bad as the soul collector was, it meant, it was meant to happen because it, it forced me to combine two things. It forced me to combine my my writing with my paranormal experiences. So I was able to tap into that and share that information with other people. And, uh, you know, whether I, you know, a lot of my books really do focus on how to keep yourself protected and, you know, what to do and what not to do. And, um, you know, there's a message in all of them. Some of them are more, you know, like Bones in the Basement is more of a ghost story. It's a haunted house Mm -hmm. story that, you know, that's real life. But, you know, there's a message in that, too. You know, don't investigate your own house if you live there because you're going to make <laughs> things worse. And, uh, you know. That's and, true. I never thought of that. You know, and then, you know, in Ruin of Souls, my newest book, um, you know, these people, it, it goes through 13 hauntings, um, the people that live through some horrific things. And almost in every case, the people investigated their own houses or they brought in paranormal investigation teams that really just stirred things up. All they did was come in and say, yep, you have a ghost and we got some great EVPs. Um, And then they left them and the people were still dealing with this haunting that's now even more severe than it was before. And, um, you know, so it, it really, until they were able to, to find Michael and, you know, Jose as well, they, they, they had to live with this experience. So uh, Michael's been, and and Jose have been absolute godsends to me and to a lot of people. Uh, I'm constantly now people are coming to me because of my books, and they know that I have uh, connections maybe or insight, and they're asking me. I have, I'm having a really horrific haunting. What can I do? And uh, you know, I if I can't help them myself I'm, I'm turning them over to michael to go in and help them and uh it you know so it's been it's it's been an interesting process it's almost like it was meant to be 
Yeah. Um, so are you? So what happened is that you had this attachment from. Uh, do you now know from where, or and it's resolved? And how did it get resolved? Um, Jose just texted me. He's in queue. I don't. Maybe he yeah. lost connection. Okay. 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 Hold on a second. Let me go over here. Okay, I see him. That was smart of him. Hi, is this Jose? Hi. <laughs> you're, you're very I, smart uh, to do that. Because if it gets dropped, just call back in. Because sometimes I get booted off of here. So if everybody just keeps talking, they won't even know I'm gone. Just keep no, it's that Michael and me are also working on another case. And I was texting him and talking to him about a strategy that we were both going to use um Another day, and I accidentally pressed the end call. <laughs> That's okay. So Just call back that in. That was my fault. That's yeah. okay. So, um, yeah, because that's what I feel from you, Jose, that you're really a blessing to others and that you're quite knowledgeable, and actually you're quite scholarly too, and that's not a fun thing I find often, that somebody has really studied and uh, they know what they're talking about and they know the history of it too, because all that matters. Yeah. Yeah, I um I was actually at odds with some of my teachers cuz my teachers were like you have to have a practical working knowledge of the spirit world and I go okay. But what about the mysticism? The mysticism is a philosophy exactly. that we live by and they were like no, uh, that's all useless academia and I go well how would you know it was useless because what happens if the time comes and that useless academia actually helps you in knowing what to do? Yeah, you know that's how yeah, we do it, and important. that's how that's how my godfather in in Santeria actually does it when he does his divinations, and he throws the cowrie shells, the cowrie shells based on the number of when they appear, or how they turn right side up or upside down, they connect to different you know folkloric stories, mystical stories that have morals at the end, and they basically tell him. Um, you know, what kind of situation that he's facing against. So what they considered useless academia actually helps many wise elders and many other traditions to understand. I'm what I call the working academic. I have the academic knowledge, but I have a working yeah. knowledge, and I'm able to use the mysticism in a way that works as well. Yes, because I can hear that and feel that in the... When I had my first, like, real deal uh, spiritual experience, um, <clears throat> I actually couldn't find any reading material on what I was talking about because people kept steering me towards uh, more new age things and all that. And I finally found a uh, a book that actually had dust on it, and it was up at the Carl Jung Institute up in, on Pico in Los Angeles. So I found it way in the back of the shelf, and it was called Christian Mysticism by Evelyn Underhill. And uh, she writes about what it takes to be a mystic in the dark night of the soul and all these phases you have to go through, which and I totally identify with. And I got a lot of help from that, of studying what happens to a mystic. And uh, sometimes it isn't pretty. You know, when your yourself is revealed to you, you know, you're on shaky ground there for a minute until you now learn, okay, I, oh, I understand, and you go on to the next thing. It's like peeling the layers of an onion. 
You know, you cry your yeah. eyeballs out, but then you get to the next level, you know, you're okay again, but, you know, that doesn't last for long. But it's building up strength and to know, have the knowledge, it means it's a big deal. It means something. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people frown on mysticism even. And I don't get it. Because aren't we talking mysticism? Aren't we talking like direct divine intervention or direct feeling of the higher power? Like a direct connection? These are people. These are people. I'm not going to say this about every single person. And I'm probably going to make some people that listen to this angry. But, you know, I have to say what I have to say. A lot of the people that frown on mysticism are usually people that are very egocentric and they're only seeking knowledge for power because they want to be more powerful than everybody else. So they're like, well, this is the mystical mumbo jumbo. All I care about is the technique for doing this ritual and becoming more powerful, but they're seeking power without wisdom and knowledge without wisdom is as useless as a baby trying to perform brain surgery. Exactly. That's the way I feel. Well, it is because, uh, I don't know. You can feel it. You know, somebody can talk for a couple minutes and it's all over for me. You know, it's like, okay, I get what you're doing. You know, you're you're going power. And, uh, you know, I've asked some people that have gone through this and, you know, what happened during your dark night of the soul and when you had to come up out of this or this and that. They said, oh, that never happened. I went, what? Like, how? <laughs> because, uh, Joni, you just talked about yours, too. When you came to that dark spot, when you were depressed, and that's that's that dark night of the soul. When you're like that, you can't see your way out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially if you're under oppression, you're you're being your mind is being controlled by something else, and uh, you you see glimpses of your own life and your own thoughts uh, in the middle, but the overwhelming presence there is in control and uh, is. Drive, you know, has its hands on the steering wheel. So it's hard to find your way back out of that. Um, you know, I think the only thing that saved me is that, um, you know, I have, I, I tend to bounce back from bad things quickly. And um, I always have that optimism that I, I will be okay. And, uh, and I just kept fighting it and fighting it until finally, you know, I was able to get help. And, you know, it was it was really scary, and but you know, as scary as that was, you know, some of the stories in this book, Ruin of Souls, um, you know, uh, you know, Jose's part of the book uh, deals with a, a woman named Tracy, and when they came in to help her, there were seventeen demons in in that house um, attached to her. So, you know, that was you know, you talk about the one demon with me and seventeen with her, and you know, that's a little different. That's, that's a little scarier of a situation, you know. Yes, it's uh, it's like it is, it is horrible. You know, I have to to think that there's a purpose to all this. That uh, each thing reflects something, and it's something to get over. Uh, I think there's a lesson in it all. I don't know what all that is, but for each well, person, I, I think, think it that, picks on whatever your weakness yeah. is. You know. Yeah. But I think it's you know the good good versus evil is um, yes is definitely out there and um, you know it's nice to it's nice to know that you know that good usually does win out over evil it's more powerful. Well, I had this spectacular life changing dream one time 
where I did face the evil one. And the evil one is uh, quite handsome, you know, but he was like in a three-piece striped suit. And uh, the loathing from this lower power, you know, was it's horrible. You know, it's uh, it's without cause. It's just loathing somebody because you're human. And with and I won. There was more good than than bad about people. Mhm. Well, you know, it's funny is uh, during the writing of this book, um, there were a lot of there's a lot of darkness out there that did not want this book to come to light because okay. there were I was under attack, psychic attacks spiritual attack almost the entire book. Uh, I would interview people, and if they had something in their house, suddenly I had the same thing coming to me. So I kept both Michael and Jose very busy the whole book because I was constantly being bombarded with with this energy, um, you know, and a lot of technical difficulties that I've never experienced, a lot of people that I had a hard time getting in touch with, and Mm-hmm. Uh, just, you know, it's like, you know, after this was book number 14, so I pretty much know what I'm doing at this point, you know, with the publishing aspect, and, you know, er- everything went wrong. It was it was as though uh, the deck was stacked against me to get this book out. So I, yeah. I definitely, it made me more persistent, though, because I knew if somebody doesn't want this book out there, then that means that this is a message that uh, that needs to be there. It needs to see, people need to read this and know that there are people like, you know, Michael and Jose that do what they do. And you may not see it, it may not be on the evening news, but it does happen. And it happens in your own neighborhood sometimes. You just don't know it. Yeah, that's very true. And, uh, you know, prayer, to me, prayer and, and works. Uh, I had, I did have a living in Hermosa Beach, and I had a neighbor that they were like practicing some kind of negative something because they, their van stunk, their house smelled, and they did rituals and cured it all. Uh, one time I was sound asleep, and uh, I woke. It's like being sound asleep, and I totally woke up, like wide awake. And an and evil spirit had tried to get through the window. I actually could feel it enter part way through the window. Let's put it that way. It was like that. It, it couldn't come in all the way. It tried to get in. And then uh, suddenly there was what I perceived as a Labrador retriever sitting in the, on the bed. And he was looking at me with these big golden eyes. And as if asking me, what do you want me to do? I said, go get him. And he went and uh, chased him off, whatever it was. And it was coming on the air, so... Uh, I felt it was something that they sent. And I didn't know if I really believed that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? That they could do rituals and send this thing out and all that. After that, I knew it was true. So I would take the Blessed Mother after that, and I'd get up at 4.15 every morning and pray out that same window. And I had the candle of Blessed Mother lit. You know those people moved? They moved out. I mean... <laughs> One minute mm-hmm. they were playing music and having a party and everything was stinking and a really weird smell. I don't know what it was. It wasn't incense. It was something like that. I don't know what it was. And all of a sudden they were gone. I mean gone. Wow. I know. It was, so, prob- it was probably just sour air. Sour air is what I call it when there's so much dark energy that it seeps into the actual air molecules and it smells like that, like just like 
um, yeah. like a place has been shut down and fresh air hasn't been in it there does. in thousands of years. It's like that. It is. It stinks, and it's just a weird smell. And I can't, couldn't really identify it, but I was enraged when I smell it. Oh, it was a really weird thing too. I would be angry, you know, instantly repelled. Maybe that's a better word, you know. But uh, praying helps. It's strength, you know, and then having guardian angels that are watching over you, and then um, some the God inside you aware that it's coming towards you, you know. Before yeah, that, I didn't. I don't know if I really. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if before that I really realized it was true because I I knew it because I I grew up with the uh, let's say mysticism and spirituality and uh, beliefs from the old country and stuff like that. But that's the first time I took action against it because I recognized it, you know. And then you're yeah. sound asleep and it'll wake you up. That's kind of amazing to me. So you can protect yourself. Yeah. What I was going to say is uh, what yeah. you did is similar to what the Benedicaria and some of the Huru Conjure workers do. Um, Benedicaria, Benedicaria are basically Catholic witches. They don't call themselves witches because to them, witch is evil. They don't see yeah. that a witch is not necessarily evil, but that's basically what they are. Benedicaria in Italian means the blessed way. So they're witches, but they gain their power from Jesus Christ and the saints, and they use Bibles and Psalms and crosses. Yeah. And when yeah. they're going to banish someone negative that's next door, they do rituals similar to what you described until the person goes away. Because they're sending so cool. much holy light that is pushing the dark person yeah. out. You just gave me the chills because uh, I get called witch all the time. And I get offended. Like, where, why do you call me? Why are you calling me that? You know what I mean? Because I think of it as negative because of, uh, you know, the connotations that go back to Massachusetts, you know. So uh, I have been called that over and over. I swear to you. If I'm in a group of people, eventually somebody will come up to me and ask me if I'm a witch. And I'm going, no. Uh, that goes deeper into Europe. The yeah. stigma against the word is so bad that there's many European yeah. witches that no longer call themselves witches because they're tired of being associated with Satanists. So it. in England, they call them they call themselves the cunning folk. Wow. Um, but, but, you know, yeah, my dad's Italy, side, yeah. My dad's sides are from England, so I'm instinctively doing these things on my own. I'm over here in California. Yeah, you probably have cunning folk um, in your ancestry. You may, because it's passed down, it's an ability, these abilities, some people have a scientific view and they think that they could even be genetically, spiritually passed down in a bloodline. Uh, our current science can't prove or disprove that, but that is a belief that it's blood magic and that it's passed down in the genes from one person to the other. So maybe you're descended from one of the cunning folk, um, but I'm which doesn't mean anything. Yeah, which, what the word which means is wise. So witchcraft is wisecraft. Those who are wise to the world of the paranormal or the supernatural. So a witch is a wise man or a wise woman. That's all it means. Okay. So don't be offended when I'm called witch. No, that's a, that's a stigma that's in Europe, and it also carried over into America because there's many Christian witches that live in America that won't call themselves that. You know, okay. in the Ozarks, they call themselves doctors. You know, you have the yard doctors yes. that work with, like, the plants, and then you have the power doctors. Exactly and the witch doctors, but they won't call themselves witches because to them a witch is a Satanist 
messing right. around with bad things or whatever. And it's the same thing in Pennsylvania with the Pennsylvania Dutch, with those the Browkers and the Powwowers. They won't call themselves witch because they consider that to be something evil. But basically, essentially, what they are doing is Christian witchcraft. It's just not satanic witchcraft. That's just like a stigma. It's a cultural stigma that arose out of, you know, arrogance and ignorance about what it actually was. But a witch is not evil. It's a witch could be good or evil depending on what it is that they practice. But if your practice is good, then there's no reason why you should be offended at being called by, you know? Okay, I'll try. I'll try, but I just don't want to be burned at the stake or anything. So I'll try. I'll try to adopt a more neutral thing, and I won't be offended because I think that I've really shut people off. You know, because I say you no, know, I'm in, not a witch. In, I was gonna say in my area in Massachusetts, being a witch is not such a bad thing, and it doesn't have the same negative connotations. You know, in fact, a lot of people are proud to call themselves witches. Um, you know, I, I have a lot of friends. A lot of my friends are witches, and and I'm fascinated know, by it. Um, you know, I think it's I think it's just amazing. You know, and a coven of witches, you know, is what saved me from the soul collectors. So, you know, I I definitely am a big believer in in what they're capable of doing. Um, you know, and it depends on what they're using it for. If they're using it for good or if they're using it for bad. You know, and you know. There's both out there, but I think, you know, I don't know. To, to me, I, I only I know more good witches than I know bad. Yes. Hmm, interesting. Now, now you talk about a place in uh, the Pierce Mansion in Gardner, Massachusetts, that you've been attracted to for a long time, and you actually got to investigate it. Uh, what drew you to this place, and uh, did it end up in any of your books? Well, as a matter of fact, I'm sitting right now in a McDonald's parking lot about a, a, about a half a mile away from the Victorian. <laughs> oh, um, okay. I, yeah, I used I to. Uh, I used to. I used to live uh, close to the Victorian, and I would drive past it on my way shopping. And um, I just—it's a beautiful house. When you see it, you see pictures of it. It's just magnificent, and it's. It's not a place. It doesn't look like anything else, you know, in the neighborhood. And uh, but there's also something that draws you in, that lures you in. You feel pulled to it. Uh, and I, as I interviewed people for the book, I learned that I wasn't the only one pulled in. Um, so I became friends with the owners. And um, when they opened the house up for investigations, I was one of the first teams that came in to investigate. And I just kept coming back and coming back. I helped them in 2011 with a Halloween party that they had. And uh, that kind of sealed the deal. I became, you know, I became one of the, what we called ourselves, were the Victorian groupies. We just, we hung around, we helped with events, we sat around the kitchen table and talked with the owners, you know, until four in the morning sometimes. And, uh, you know, I experienced a lot of the paranormal activity firsthand. And, um and saw what they were going through and how it was draining them. And, you know, seeing it firsthand, you, you know, you, you, you see the pain on their face. You see them, you know, sinking into, um, you know, despair, you know, day after day after day. And it finally the haunting became so severe that they were, they were pushed out of the house. They couldn't live there anymore. And, um, you know, it was, it was horrible, um, you know, and it's, 
I've even talked to Michael about that house. I said, is that something you could clear? And he said, no. He said, there's too many too many high-level entities there and too many portals that uh, if somebody <coughs> attempted to cleanse that house, it would, it would cause severe damage to them that they may never survive. So that's a haunted yeah, house. Yeah, because sometimes I guess these things aren't leaving. You know, sometimes they're just not going to leave. Like, yeah, well, Edwin, Edwin Becker and his house, they left. They they yeah. left and then gave the house yeah. away, and it had caused problems. I guess it's still standing, but, you know, I wouldn't want yeah. to go near anywhere near it. Yeah, well, the Victorian's been sold again, and uh, they they held on to it for two years, not living in it. I mean, they when when I say they fled the house, they they left and they lived, they moved into uh, her sister's basement, and that's where they've been living since they left the house. And so wow. they finally, you know, they loved the house. They didn't want to give up on it, but there was, you know, there was really nothing anybody could do about it. So they put it up for sale, and uh, the people that bought it are uh, renovating it right now, which is um, really near and dear to my heart because the house uh, was getting to a state where it was almost to the point of no return. If somebody didn't put a new roof on that house, it was gonna. It probably only had a couple years left before the damage went too far, and uh, that's what they're doing right now. They're putting a new roof on the house. They're going to do extensive renovations, but they're not going to live in it. They're going to rent it out to people that want to experience a haunted house. Wow. Well, I guess if they have the money, I don't, I don't know. Uh, what do you do with a house yeah. like that, Jose? With a house that's haunted like that? Yeah. Well, they're not going to um, go. <laughs> I guess we'll well, the I mean... I mean, there are some practitioners that purposely seek places like this out that are spiritually active to turn them into sort of like temples where they can work their magic or where they can have visions or something like that. But places like that that are so out of control, I I have a lot of doubts that that would even work for a practitioner unless it was somebody that was purposely trying to feed on negativity like a warlock, which is a bad way. Yes. It's just what um, I was imagining. Yeah, because warlocks, warlocks do seek places like this out and then use the spirits there to feed and fuel their own magic, at least the traditional ones did. I don't know what the modern ones today do now. The modern ones today are kind of like, you know, <laughs> they're kind of like wannabes. You know, they want to be all big and all powerful, and then usually they're a threat to themselves instead of anybody else because they conjured something is beyond their control. So Yeah. Um I don't I don't really think anything could be done with a place like that. It would be a waste of space and money. Yeah. Because uh yeah, that's what I was thinking because it's costing a lot of money for them to cuz all the old Victorians are so beautiful. You know, you don't want to see them, you know, just go to waste. But something that's so haunted you can't live in it. it makes you wonder why are they doing it? Yeah, well, the previous owners didn't have the same negative experiences. Um, you know, they knew it was haunted and they had experiences, but it was never it was never as uh, negative as it was after uh, Edwin and Lillian moved into it. And, um, you know, I, I don't know why. Maybe it was because they had so many investigations. They didn't really oversee the investigations either. They let people do whatever they wanted to do, and... 
you yeah. know, people were bringing in Ouija boards and they were doing seances and they were provoking and, uh, you know, and I think the other thing is they were bringing in more ghosts. Uh, a lot of investigators go different places and they may pick up, you know, a paranormal hitchhiker. They may pick up an attachment and they go to that house and, and the, you know, the, the entity says, oh, I think I'll just stay here. And the house become more and more haunted, you know, in my three years that I've spent, you know, hanging out there and investigating and uh, being there, I saw it become more and more uh, negative uh, over time. I mean, there are definitely good ghosts there. I never personally felt threatened, but I was always yeah. cautious. I, I never, you know, I, I never did things that would put me in danger. Um, you know, there were a few times I ended up at the house by myself. And uh, one of my favorite stories is I was meeting a group there, and uh, they were coming in from upstate New York, and they hit traffic. And I was there first. And uh, so I was waiting for them. Nobody was there. I was there by myself. And uh, the caretaker uh, called me and said, uh, there's a tornado warning. You better get down in the basement. <laughs> I laughed because the basement, of the, the basement of his house is insanely haunted. It's the most haunted area in the house. And there's a very dark, negative entity that hangs out down there. I said, you know, heck with that. I'll take my chances with the tornado. <laughs> That's what I was going to yeah. say. Maybe maybe you'd rather uh, go visit the Wizard of Oz with a tornado instead of go down there. <laughs> oh, yeah. There was no one going in that basement. I, I had to laugh when she said that. I'm like, would you go in the basement by yourself? And she goes, no, no. <laughs> I said, well, that's my answer, too. <laughs> Well, I don't go near any of those places because it seems like, and I'm not sure I would even, I don't even say that I'm a medium or anything like that. Uh, I, I'm i not sure why. I guess I don't want to say that uh, with the dead or anything, but they come to me before and after they die. I don't know the rules on that because I didn't know people could come to you before they die. But I've looked people at people be like a week before they're dying, and I'm saying, "Are you going to be here next week?" In my mind, I don't ever say that to them, you know. But mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot of, I don't. I when it was happening, I didn't understand the rules of this. Mm-hmm. So that would be more of Jose's territory than mine. Yeah. <laughs> you want to take that one, Jose? <laughs> well, What's the thing mean, is. Jose? Well, people have different theories. I've never actually experienced that one personally, but one person told me that some people, for whatever reason, have out-of-body experiences before they actually die, and then um, they visit certain people or whatever, and I've actually seen it discussed on certain documentaries and TV shows. I've never seen it personally, and I'm not sure that I want to see it. Yeah, you're correct, Um, because uh, it's quite stunning, and uh, it's always been right on. And uh, I never understood what the rules were. I even asked my daughter since, uh, let's say, my grandson was having a horrible dream one one night. And, and I went there to console him and pray for him. And I had a feeling there was an angel standing next to me helping me pray. And I did see a light come on and off. And what happened is during the night, my daughter heard him. He was he was in his room. He was about maybe nine. He had one of those wiffle bats. And in a nightmare, he was hitting the side of the bunk bed with it. 
And when I and that's when I saw him. I was standing in his room, praying for him with an angel at my side. And what happened with the light that came on and off was my daughter. She opened up the bathroom door. The light, you know, so light came in the room. She saw me standing there with an angel, and she shut the door really quick because it shocked her. I called her the next morning, but I didn't see her. I just saw the light. So the next morning, I said, you know, my, you know, my, what happened with Marky? You know, I was. He, she said, Mom, um, we were. She's sort of. I don't know if she's a. She's kind of agnostic. You know what I mean? Yeah. But anyway, uh, yeah, she's kind of agnostic. It was a weird conversation because I said, well. What is the rules on this? She said, Mom, I saw you standing there. I, I got scared, so I, uh, I shut the door really fast. You know what I mean? So I don't understand the rule on that either, but I thought of this, that it's like a near-death experience. Like when they're having that, I'm having it with them, sort of. Like a shared near-death yeah. experience. Yeah, or it could just be regular astral projection. Maybe she saw your astral yeah. projection and she freaked out. And then when you return mm-hmm. to your body, you don't remember that you did it. Because that happens all the time. There were times when I <laughs> I had somebody say, Jose, thank you so much for helping me with the curse that was on me. And I looked at them and I said, I think you got me confused with another healer friend because I didn't help you. And the guy goes, no, you did. You showed up in my bedroom last night at around like uh, 10 in the night and I had gone to sleep at 5 in the afternoon because I was so tired and he said that I spoke to him and told him this and this so I was skeptical I thought it was an entity shape-shifting to look like Mm. me so I went to like four different people and they all said that I was astral projecting to people and helping them that's it and and and, and the woman told me that the reason that I feel so tired when I wake up in the morning is because I'm too busy talking to people and crossing them over <laughs> and breaking hexes when I'm asleep that I actually do more when I'm asleep than I'm when I'm awake. Uh, I think I agree with that because I'm also tired, you know what I mean? Because I, I felt like I wouldn't sleep well, but I have a very active dream life. You know, so I'm dreaming yeah. all through the night, you know. So that's when I started having those troubled dreams. I think that's, I knew that um, that was it, but I, I needed to talk about it. I was scared to talk about it. That's, you know? what, that's what got me That's what got me into, into studying Native and Celtic shamanism because a shaman told me that what I was doing was shamanic um, astral projection. I call it soaring because in Celtic, shamanism you soar out of your body like an eagle and you do all this stuff so i call it soaring so i differentiate soaring from like regular astral projection so that's when they started initiating me and teaching me and i had better control and then what my medicine woman told me is that i need to actually talk to my guides and tell them look i need some sleep because i'm tired and I need you to, like, make sure that this time I stay in my body. So when I started doing that, I started having better sleep, and I would wake up refreshed and energized in the morning because I wasn't going anywhere or doing anything. So now I limit how much I actually do that to, like, a few times a month or maybe once a month, and that's it. Okay. So maybe you, should, you should talk really, to you. I think yeah. I'm going – I did talk to God about it, especially about those current things I was talking about. Because of the pain involved, you know. But you need need to talk directly to your saints, to the ones that you work with, and explain to them that you're tired because your saints are the ones that intercede with you before God. You need to talk to them and say, look, 
I understand I'm doing very important work, but I'm tired. I need to rest. I need, you know, and you need to talk to your spirit guides. And when you do that, your energy will be protected and you'll be able to sleep um, until mm-hmm. morning because that happened to me. There was, did you know that there's actually a category of light worker that I, that we go by under that? Um, there's mean. different light there's different light workers apparently what you and me are called are night workers because we work at night hmm. i did not i did not know this until i spoke to the shaman and she started explaining all this to me and she told me what that was and i had to look it up because i never heard of that category no. of light worker before but that's what we are we're night workers we work at night when we go to sleep but we need sometimes to take breaks and have like vacations i remember one time I took a six months vacation and I did not astral project and all that time because I needed the rest and it was awesome. It was the best sleep I ever had. It was like sleeping for a thousand years and finally waking up. It was awesome. So you should talk to them. That sounds so great. I'm going to do it because I have my, I have my saints and I'm exactly going to do that. You know, I'm sure that they want me to be okay too. You know, they're always working on my behalf and um, I love that. So um, let's see. We, oh boy, we only have about six minutes left. So, uh, where can people? People have been asking about you. They're very intrigued about you, Jose. Um, where can they get a hold of you at? Uh, well, I don't really let people get a hold of me anymore because I've had a okay. couple of stalkers. Fine. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's fine. Because because I because I had a couple of stalkers, but I mean someone could indirectly find me if, let's say, they spoke to Michael or to yeah. Joni, and then if Joni and Michael talk to me and they say, um, they talk to me and they explain who this person is and I trust them, then they can find me and I'll let them get a hold of me. But I'm very selective now because I have a half a dozen stalkers out there that I had to block, and at some point I was going to delete my profile because I didn't want them to find me anymore. Yeah. Uh, I don't blame you. I actually uh, start, had that problem and it stopped because I actually, I, you know, I uh, some part of my life I was uh, lived in the projects, and during that time I learned some special techniques. So what I did was hit them with my project attitude, and they, and they got rid of them. And some of them were far away, like Australia, and I still scared them yeah. to leave me alone. You know what I mean? Yeah, my so, spe- yep. my my special my special technique is the block app on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I use that too. Your special shamanic technique is block. <clears throat> okay, Joni. Yeah. What do, what do you have coming up? Uh, let's tell us about where to get your books because you have fourteen of them, and where can you get them? Uh, well, all my books are available on Amazon.com, and most of them are available on BarnesandNoble.com. They are in some bookstores, and they are available. Any bookstore can order them, so you can walk into any bookstore and say, you know, I want this book, and they can order it for you. And, and I actually like that because usually if they're going to order one for you, they might order another one for the bookstore. So it helps me. I am self-published. So I don't have this whole marketing and publisher publisher behind me. Uh, everything I do, I do myself, including I do all my yeah. own covers as well. So, um, oh yeah, that's cool. You know, it's kind of a one one woman show, but you know, it, it definitely helps. This last book has been tremendous because uh, it, I haven't been in it alone. Uh, you know, both Michael and Jose and a lot of the people that have stories in the book have been 
you know, really supporting me and helping me get this message out because I think, you know, it's it's more than book sales. It's it's a message that I feel that needs to get out there and um you know, it it makes you know, light workers gives us a little leg up, I think. You know, knowing that there is a solution. And there's a lot of people out there dealing with horrific hauntings that are, you know, maybe even listening to the show right now that have tried yeah. everything that they can think of and they're still living with this horrible envy. And, you know, this gives them hope. It gives them resources. And, you know, I prepared Michael before this book was published. I said, what are you going to do when hundreds of people start coming to you asking for help? And he said, you know, I'll put them in line. You know, you know, they'll, they'll, you know, I'll help one at a time, just like I have been doing. So, That's right. you know, Michael does have it. Michael has a website now, and I believe it's michaelrobashaw.com. Um, you know, I do have the link in my book, and it's on my website as well, which my website is joanymahan.com, J-O-N-I-M-A-Y-H-A-N.com. So I have a lot of the information there about, uh, you know, the the book and how to get it and how to get in touch with different people, including me. So, you know, there's a link there. They can email me uh, or message me on there. And you so, give classes, don't you? Yeah, you I do, teach a Paranormal do. 101 class uh, in the town of Gardner. I am going to open up class online uh, because there have been a lot of people across the country that say, I don't live anywhere near you, but I want to take your classes because they sound so interesting. So I am going to do an online class in January, which uh, I'll, you know, I'm starting to work on that and getting you know the schedule together. Um, so I'll post that on my website when, it, when I have that finalized. But, um, you know, it, they're, they're a lot of fun. And you know, there are a lot of information that runs the gamut. It's, it doesn't have to just be a paranormal, you know. Um, and when we talk about karma, we talk about crystal healing, past life regressions, um, raising your vibrations, um, uh, astral projection, you know, uh, remote viewing, uh, just all kinds of things we talk about. And we do talk about, you know, do you have a sixth sense and how do you develop it? How do you know if it's real or if it's not? And um, you know, we work workshops-wise, um, you know, which I plan to do on my yeah, online classes, too, because, you know, I'll have people, you know, um, I'll probably do, a, like, a Skype or something like that or, or Google, um, Google um, I can't think of what it's called, but they have a, a Skype-like thing um, where we can all talk and yes. discuss things and, you know, help each other work through problems that, you know, it's, you know, I may be teaching a class, but it doesn't mean that um, I'm not going to learn just as much from the students as they're going to learn from me because we work together and help each other. So they've been right. just, you know, a real eye-opening experience for all of us. It has been, and I want to thank you so much. Uh, we just have a few seconds left. Jose, uh, what do you recommend for somebody that's seeking assistance and help? Well, do research on your own area. I mean, half the people that I helped had to find out about me from people in other states to find out that I lived in their own backyard. You probably have people that do the same things that me and Michael do, or maybe even better, living in your own backyard. You have to research your own communities. You know, when there's people from Arkansas, I tell them to go into the Ozarks and look for like witch doctors and yard doctors and power doctors or people in Pennsylvania. I tell them to go to the powwowers. If there's 
people that have a strong Italian background to try and find the Vendettos and the Vendettas, the Benedicaria, the Christian uh, witch healers from Italy. Uh, look in your own culture. You might be surprised to find that there are people that do the same things that we do and maybe even better. Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much. And I want to thank both of you, Johnny Mahan and Jose Prado. Thank you very much for being on the show tonight. And thanks for uh, jumping in there, Jose. That was a brave thing to do. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. Thank you, Jose. You saved me again. <laughs> no problem. Well, I think our higher powers aligned all this, so it would go good. So uh, God bless you yeah, guys. You're welcome back any any time, any time, because we can actually ask you guys, you guys as a panel, if you wish, and anything you want, I'd be happy to do. So just let me know if you ever need me. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Good night. Good night, Jose. Good night. Good night. Good night, Joni. Good night, Jose. God bless you. All right. God bless you too. <laughs> okay. okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. All right. Bye. So uh, I just want to thank everybody for listening in. And all you people in chat were just so patient and everything else. Uh, and the people that uh, were came in early, like a half hour early to listen and wait patiently, uh, thank you so much because it turned out to be a wonderful and enlightening show. I learned a lot from the show tonight. And there's different levels of this uh, subconscious uh, uh, world and uh, mystical world we live in. And we need to talk about it, learn about it. And uh, I have a couple things to read that I found so interesting. And this is in Job 33. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falleth upon men and slumberings upon the bed, then he openeth the ears of men and sealeth their instruction. They must draw man from his purpose and hide pride from him. So this way, in our dreams, we are taught because our ego and our pride isn't getting in the way. And also Carl Jung says, where love rules, there is no will to power. And where power predominates, their love is lacking. And that is one shadow over another. Now, Jose was telling us about that. That's Carl Young. So next week, we have another incredible speaker. And uh, if you want to contact me, just uh, try to find me on Facebook. Or you can write me, Sharon McCain, P.O. Box 980, Hermosa Beach, California, 90254. Or you can friend me on Facebook. And it's called The Paranormal and the Sacred. Just mention me over there and find that page. And you can message me on there. And uh, then remember to tell your friends about this show. We're here every Friday, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, the paranormal sacred is a place where the unheard may be heard. And please recommend us to your friends and family. I'll be back here next week. God bless everybody. May your best dreams come true and true love live in your heart. Love you. Take care. Bye-bye.